Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. Listen, ain't nobody else got nothing to do with this. This is between you and me, man to man. I'm Joey Gentile. And my mother always told me if you massage your pussy with Pam cooking spray a month before the baby comes, you don't need vaginal rejuvenation. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> Shut up. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per, <laughs> per category per decade. This is the men of 2016. I did not fucking expect that from you at all. Thank you for that laugh this morning. Yes, that that line, courtesy of the uh, bougie dinner party scene from Nocturnal Animals. Oh, goddamn, that was good. That was good. Wow, this is actually kind of a cool episode because this is the first time this season we're on our own. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, we've had some pretty cool guests so far. It's been pretty interesting with who you've chosen so far, um, some of, you know, your choices have taken me by surprise. So I'll be interested to see if that surprise continues now that we're one-on-one and now that we're talking about the guys for the first time really on our own, minus, you know, the bonus episode of 1974 way back when. Um, but either way, I am excited. How do you feel about this year? Um, I'm actually pretty much a fan of uh, this year. There's a theme um, running through these uh, these men, I guess you could say, of... Um, sort of a masculine sadness uh, to a lot of these characters. Um, a little melancholy. And uh, I kind of dig it. All right, all right. Well, um, you know, as usual, before we dive in, who do you think we're going for this year? Um, you know, in supporting, I'm just going to go with uh, Mahershala Ali for you and uh, Vigo Mortensen in lead. Well, I definitely also see you going for Mahershala, but the thing is, is like I kind of see you going for Casey Affleck because I just feel like that is a very you thing, and I do know that you were fond of the film more than I was. But I also see you going Vigo, so I don't know. Maybe you'll surprise me and go Ryan Gosling, but you know I'm gonna stick with it. You're gonna stick with the winners. You're gonna go Ali and Affleck. Okay. So without further ado, let's just dive right the fuck in. Okay, so um, your nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in 2016 were... Mahershala Ali, Moonlight. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, Hello High Water. Lucas Hedges, Manchester by the Sea. 
All right, well, let's start with our winner for the year. That is Mahershala Ali winning for Moonlight. This is his first of two nominations and wins here at the Oscars. Uh, going into this, he was uh, pretty much a threat to win as he takes SAG Critics' Choice, the Los Angeles Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, the New York Film Critics Circle, and he's part of the Robert Altman Award at the Spirits. Uh, that's their version of the Ensemble Award. He's also recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and with the SAG Ensemble Award. In Moonlight, Mahershala Ali plays Juan, a crack dealer who becomes a mentor and father figure to the young Chiron. So um, how do you feel about Mahershala Ali in Moonlight? So I have, I, you know, I spoke about, well, we spoke about this when we did The Women of 2016. And... You know, I mentioned Moonlight was a very, very special movie. And it's one of those movies that I have never revisited because the magic of it was so special. And I don't want to ruin that. And a lot of that special magic came from Mahershal Ali. Um, I, it, it's funny because if you look at Mahershala Ali's uh, resume, he's been in everything. But, like, he never really – he was just kind of like you knew his face and then you didn't know his name. And Moonlight changed that. And the thing about it is that he's so damn good here that it almost feels – I don't know if this will make sense, but it almost feels like this is his debut movie, and it's – but, like, we've known him forever. And the fact that you have this character who, on paper, could really play into black stereotype and be this quote-unquote thug character and this hard-ass character and this completely – um, hood life character, like all those stereotypical roles that seem to, you know, represent black people in cinema for most of the time. And he, it, but he's really the most you and me down to earth, completely warm father figure. And I think if this was in anyone else's hands, it really would have ended up like those stereotypes that I mentioned. Ali, completely transcends this character um it is heartbreaking that moment when a young chiron sits at the table across from him and asks what a faggot is and his response could be one way and you think it's going to go in that stereotypical fashion and it doesn't and he literally says to him you know essentially what a faggot is and then when young chiron says well am i a faggot and he said you can be whatever you want to be and don't let anyone ever call you that it's such a heartwarming moment as a gay man to see that and remember what it was like knowing that i was gay at that age and wanting that conversation but afraid of the reaction I was very lucky when I came out. I was um, very embraced and loved by my family. Many people don't have that, and it's sad. And that, even though I was embraced, I know what it's like for those who weren't. Did I experience it personally in a family way? No. But I do know what it's like to want that love. And that just really hit me in a whole new way. And there's something so human about what Ali does here to the point of when Ali's character is no longer on screen, you, I feel like I miss him the most. Um, 
the character of Chiron, you know, is played by three different men throughout this timeline here. But the one who stuck with me the most after seeing this was Ali. Um, You know, even the scene where he confronts Chiron's mom, like, get your shit together. But in the end, it's his fault that his, well, I mean, it's, he's the one supplying her addiction. So he's like, fuck, like he's in this predicament. I mean, it's just, it's fucking beautiful. What what do you think? Yeah, I agree uh, with pretty much everything. Ali has um, such a commanding presence in this film. Um, he brings such a, a natural-ism to his performance while maintaining a certain type of gravitas that comes with a seasoned performer. Ali, of course, has been acting for much longer than um, most people realize. Um, I feel like he didn't really become the household name until Moonlight and his Oscar nomination and then subsequent win. But um, he's been around for a while, and uh, he has really mastered his craft over that time. Um, His performance here as Juan is not exactly one that um, continuously draws attention to itself. It's not one where he, you know, has to raise his voice or make these grand speeches in order to... um, obtain the audience's attention. Uh, He just simply is this person who becomes a father figure to Little, um, I believe is what he's known as in this segment of the film, Um, but with a certain remorse, I think. I feel like uh, Juan has, um, he feels a sense of responsibility to this um, boy, because he is, as you said, um, providing um, his mother, uh, played by Naomi Harris, with the very thing that is destroying her and um, ruining this household. Um, Ali, as this crack dealer of this community, has a certain status. Um, That role comes with some power and influence. Um, but not necessarily in a positive way, um, which is juxtaposed very interestingly, considering the father figure role he ends up taking with this um, with this child. Uh, it's a very complex role when you really break down how Juan functions within the community and then within his own household and then um, one-on-one with um, the young Chiron. Um, But Ali is magnificent here. Um, He's only really in the first act of this movie, um, the first like half hour or so, and his absence is absolutely felt in the second and third segments of the film. And um, I think that really says something when someone can only be in the first half hour and when the movie is over, um, they are one of the things at the forefront of your mind um, as the audience. So um, 
he he de- he delivers a powerful performance in a very um, sincere, um, authentic sort of way. Agreed. And we both just answered a question. I just want to shout him out really quick by Jakey in six one two, who asked upon initial unspoiled viewing, if possible, were you surprised that Marshall Ali does not return to the film? Why or why not? Well, we just answered that for you. So there there's that. Um, and I also agree with you 100%. There's nothing I don't disagree with you with on, with on that. So um, we do have uh, another question re- regarding Ali from Joey Lotaki. One, do you think Mahershala Ali is our generation's Academy darling? Hashtag Jodie Foster. Hashtag Meryl Streep. Hmm. Well, he did win. Um two times relatively close. Uh, They weren't exactly consecutive, but they are really near in time to one another, similar to what he's saying with um, Foster um, and Streep. So perhaps, I don't know if I see him having the repeated appearances of Streep just due to the nature of the industry, but um, that's an interesting um, comparison there, definitely. I mean, I think you can compare it to, like, you know, Tom Hanks or Jodie Foster or even Hilary Swank winning because they're so close. But I don't know if we can make that prediction thus far because I think, you know, you are right again, like, you know, how the industry is. So I'll say a very enthusiastic maybe. Yeah. There's definitely Uh, a fondness for him within um, the academy and within the industry. I mean, he wouldn't have won twice if there weren't people who really respected him. Um, of course, there's always politics involved, um, especially when it comes to his second win and the film that it, you know, comes from. But um, I, he wouldn't have won that if people did not really, really like him. Yeah, that is true. And finally, Eon Daly wants to know, would you have nominated any of the other actors from Moonlight? I, uh, he says, I would have nominated Andre Holland and Trevante Rhodes winning alongside Ali. Um, Trevante Rhodes is the first one that comes to mind for me. Um, his segment of the film, that final third, um, is really moving. Um, his performance really stirs me in a way. Um, I went into Moonlight not really knowing anything about it. Um, I had just come off of a pretty awful production, and uh, I kind of went to it. Uh, I went to a matinee uh, at a theater. I didn't really know what it was, just that it had received some, you know, festival and critic love. Had no idea of its Oscar potential. Um, just kind of went into it, and um, I was blown away in every regard. And um, Trevante Rhodes is probably the the most surprising thing, because uh, I, I knew Ali from his work uh, previously, and I knew Naomi Harris. Trevante Rhodes was the discovery for me, and um, his segment of the film is the one that really, like, blew me away. I'm a little opposite. While I think they're both great, there is no other actor in this film outside Ali who really struck me in that way. Even my original prediction didn't even have Harris winning. Um, or Harris nominated. Um, so I don't think I would. I think they're great, but I, there's no one in that film hit me like Ali did. So I personally would not. Mm-hmm. And that's all we've got on Moonlight. Okay. 
Next, we have Jeff Bridges, nominated for Hell or High Water. This is his seventh of seven nominations. Going into this, he gets a couple of wins. Uh, he receives um, wins with the Kansas City Film Critics and with the National Board of Review, as well as with the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. He's also recognized at the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, the National Society of Film Critics, and with the Gotham Awards. In Heller High Water, Jeff Bridges plays Marcus Hamilton, a Texas Ranger close to retirement on the trail of a pair of bank robbing brothers. So how do you feel about Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water? I don't I don't get this one. I um I'm not a huge fan of this movie. I actually remember watching it. And for some reason I don't understand where this movie came from. Like this was one of those times in Oscar season where I feel like this movie just came out of nowhere. So the fact that it got up to even like a best picture nomination really confuses me because this movie just kind of feels like a, a quote unquote manly lifetime movie. Um, it also doesn't feel very original. Like it feels like we've seen this over and over and over again with this type of like shootout film. I mean, look at even bridges with like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. This just kind of feels like, He's take it's reversed. Um, I don't understand this nomination, especially because between Crazy Heart and um, um, True Grit, th there's just like a theme with the last three Bridges nominations, and it so it's not really like he has like a stretch that he's doing here. I don't know. I'm just this one didn't work for me. I, you know what did work for me in this, though? Or who did? Dale Dickey, because, you know, she's fucking Dale Dickey. But, yeah, this one just, mm -mm, no. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on this one. Um, this role, this performance, seems um, very fit for Jeff Bridges. Um, I think it really allows him to flex his Jeff Bridges muscles, um, it really taps into a lot of his strengths and um, the certain attributes that make him um, the star that he is. Uh, he gets to be this uh, gruff Texas Ranger on the on the fringes of retirement. Uh, he gets to make semi-racist jokes at his partner, who is of mixed. Mexican and Native American uh, ancestry. Um, he gets to be, you know, a little tough and uh, an all-knowing sort of detective figure. And the movie sort of ends with um, him and Chris Pine, I think it is, having their little one-on-one -on -one where Bridges knows all the answers. He's just waiting for Pine to make that misstep that will allow him to... Um, catch him you know um so i can see how if you're a fan of jeff bridges um this role does everything for you um if you're someone who you know would like an actor to do something a little different than what you're accustomed i could see how this would really fall short for you um but you know hell or high water is a fun film um it's not one that i would think uh would have received the oscars accolade that it did i think it's a perfectly fine um, thriller, uh, cat and mouse.
film, but um, is it exactly um, any more Oscar-worthy than any other uh, well-made thriller? I'm not so sure. Um, Jeff Bridges, I can see why uh, people would gravitate toward this, but I can't say that it's uh, my favorite of his nominations, though. Yeah, no disagreement. Um, got two questions. One is from Mr. Reese's Cups, and the other one is from Paolo Murzio. I'm just going to combine them here. Was Jeff Bridges arguably lead, and if Ben Foster had been nominated, or I'm sorry, which category should Ben Foster have been in had he been nominated? I see um, the argument for Bridges in lead. I can see how these three men... Uh, Pine, Foster, and Bridges could be considered co-leads. Um, I, I don't know. It's one of those where I can kind of see the arguments going both ways. Um, from what I recall, I personally would probably put Foster in lead. Um, you know, that's probably where I would go. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know if I would have nominated Ben Foster. I don't know. I think. I think. See, the thing is, is, first of all, let me just tackle Bridges. Bridges only has about 34 minutes of screen time, um, which equals out, out to 33.88% of the actual running time. Um, but, like, so screen time-wise, no. But story-wise, if I'm going by your rules, like, if you take Bridges out, there's no story. So, I mean, I guess he could be in lead. I don't know. Maybe this is just one of those things where it's three co-leads, but at the same time it could also be used in a supporting i don't fucking know i'm okay i guess with him being in supporting foster i also would have put in supporting i guess then by that so i'll just say supporting supporting and so would you also put pine in supporting i guess i'd have to if i was following that yeah like that's the thing they could be three leads or you could pull the ensemble that this one's messy i will say this one's a messy messy answer because you could go either way for either of them Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, the lead and supporting uh, binary uh, has its downfalls. It's when, yeah. you know, you got characters that fall into this sort of gray area where they're on the cusp when it comes to screen time and they're just a little too important uh, when it comes to story. And, you know, it's, it gets kind of tricky. This is one of those examples where, like, I could honestly see it going either way and I wouldn't be mad about it. And yet I can't really make a determination wholeheartedly. Because I, like I said, I, I kind of see it both ways. Correct. That's all we got. Next, we have Lucas Hedges nominated for Manchester by the Sea. This is so far his first and only nomination. Um, his two wins are um, a Young Actor Award with Critics' Choice and a Breakthrough Award with a National Board of Review. He is also recognized with the Critics' Choice um, in the supporting lineup, as well as um, at the Spirit Awards. He's also part of the SAG Ensemble, and he gets a breakthrough uh, nomination with Gotham. So his are a mix between uh, supporting, breakthrough, and ensemble. And in Manchester by the Sea, Lucas Hedges plays Patrick, a teenager grieving the loss of his father while his depressed uncle looks after him. So how do you feel about Lucas Hedges and Manchester by the Sea? No surprise. I do not like this movie. Talked about it before. That part's done. Okay. Lucas Hedges, I 
remember being in the theater watching this and like, okay, like I felt like that meme where there's that like creature that's holding a stick that's like, do something. That was this. And then he did something. Um, there's that there's that moment where like he's freaking out about frozen meat in the freezer. And then shortly after that, I felt like that meme again where I'm like, do something. I don't also understand this one. Um, this is a very one note performance outside of that meat scene. He's just melancholy the whole time, which uh, given the the su- or the, the the subject, I understand. Like, I get it. But I just feel like if you're going to have to be melancholy, you got to give me something else here with this, um, which is why, like I said, that's why I keep pointing to it. I really appreciated that meat scene. He finally had that breakdown. He had that moment. But that's all it was, was a moment. Um, and I don't, you know, said it before, I'm not a given person an Oscar nomination or win for a moment. Um, so unfortunately, this, yeah, this one doesn't work for me either. I just, I will say, despite my feelings towards the movie, this is the role that I feel like I wish he would have done more with because I feel like there was so much more he could tap into. Um, This wasn't it. So I'm pretty fond of Lucas Hedges in Manchester by the sea. I'm also just a big fan of this movie. Um, What I, one of the things I admire about this film is how it explores um, the way men deal with loss or don't deal with it, whether that's consciously or unconsciously. Um, With Lucas Hedges, we have the adolescent man um, dealing with um, the loss of his father, who has been um, slowly dying for a while, or he at least had a heart condition. So it um, it was known that this could occur at any point. And, um, when it does, he has a very still way of responding, which is a choice um, to, you know, break down in tears and scream and throw something against the wall is a very melodramatic way um, of responding. There's people who do do that, and I'm not saying that's um, unrealistic, but to do the opposite of that is also very realistic. And um, I think it was a choice on the part of uh, Lonergan to have him respond that way and um, for Hedges to play the part accordingly. Um, Like, to make this personal, about eight years ago, uh, when my grandfather died, I had a very similar response. I didn't really cry. I didn't really respond in the way that people thought I should naturally be responding, which caused a lot of people to bother me all the time, um, asking, you know, if I'm okay and reminding me that it's okay to cry. And I knew all that. It's just, it's just not how I felt. Um, how it's not how I, you know, uh, felt compelled to display my emotions. Um, so I think it makes sense um, as an exploration of teenage boy grief um, and that the breakdown with the meat is also very authentic. Um, A few years after my grandfather died, I experienced the loss of a dog and um, that actually hit me a lot harder. Uh, That relationship was much different. And um, 
there were little moments, little things that were innocuous. Uh, to a normal person, it wouldn't be a trigger of any sort, but something would click in my mind and I would just completely lose it over something that doesn't even seem like it's warranted, uh, that sort of response. And um, after like 10 minutes of breakdown, I would just uh, return to a stillness. I guess that's just kind of the way I'm programmed. And um, Hedge's performance here makes a lot of sense to me um, from a personal standpoint. Um, this is also one of those movies that, um, despite the subject matter, it doesn't exactly play out the way I think a lot of people expected it to. Based on the premise, uh, the plot description, I'm sure a lot of people went into this movie thinking it would be a, a ultra tearjerker, screaming to the back of the room, bring down the house kind of movie and it takes a, co a completely different route with the way that it um explores all these characters and how they deal with a few different versions of loss in this movie it's not just the kyle chandler um character who is mourned and um i think hedges does a pretty good job of conveying um, this specific type of person's specific type of mourning. But he's also given some funnier moments. Some of his exchanges with Casey Affleck, I think, are really funny. Um, like when they're arguing in the car or when, when they can't find the car, uh, things like that. Um, his two girlfriends situation and how neither of them know about each other and all that um, is really funny. So Lonergan does give him some moments of levity. He's not just um, in this uh, deep emotional state the entire time. He's allowed to be a teenage boy. Um, like one of his first instincts is to invite his friends over and they get into this ridiculous conversation about Star Trek and it's really funny and um yeah I think Lucas Hedges really plays into a lot of different um aspects about what it's like to be a teenage boy dealing with um an immense pain that he can't fully fathom and yet kind of does it's very complex I think but um, before you hear any more about our thoughts, we have a listener clip. We have a former guest, Andrew Carden. Um, here are his thoughts on Lucas Hedges in Manchester by the Sea. Hey, guys. So I am a big fan of Lucas Hedges in Manchester by the Sea, which happened to be my best picture winner of that year. Uh, I loved it then, and I still love it now. And... Well, I think that obviously Casey Affleck dominates the proceedings in this film. I think just as much the heart and soul of it is Lucas Hedges and his performance. I think it's a turn that really shows off his range as an actor. I think it's equal parts heartbreaking and hilarious. You know, people forget how funny Manchester by the Sea often is, especially in the first half with the, the constant bickering between the Casey Affleck and Lucas Hedges characters. 
Uh, I especially love the scene in which Kenneth Lonergan himself shows up and uh, the two of them, Casey and Lucas, are sparring pretty aggressively. And at one point, uh, Lucas's character asks Casey if he's fundamentally unsound, uh, which I just love. And I love Lucas's uh, relationships with his two girlfriends. Uh, I love all of that. I think he has really a, a wonderful light touch and is really very endearing in this role and in others that he's done since. But obviously, I think when people think about Manchester by the Sea, they think of the more the the more heartbreaking, the the darker moments, and there's certainly no shortage of those in the film and featuring Lucas Hedges. Certainly, his panic attack. Uh, in front of the the freezer stands out, uh, you know, in which he, you know, essentially breaks down and tells Casey Affleck's character that he just doesn't like his father, who of course passed away, uh, portrayed by Kyle Chandler, being in the freezer. And it's such a pitch perfect portrayal of a panic attack. You can feel all the pent up um, anxiety the frustration, um, all of the sadness just finally boil over. And I think that he captures that just masterfully. And I certainly think that another scene that certainly stands out is, you know, the big scene with Casey Affleck at the dinner table in which Casey's character concedes that, you know, he just, he can't beat it. He won't be able to, to stick around. And Lucas's character asks him, why can't you stay? And just that one line delivery is just so pitch perfectly delivered and just drives it home just absolutely beautifully. Uh, for my money, you know, this is really one of the great young performances to be recognized by the Academy. Uh, it's perhaps not quite up there with somebody like Timothy Hutton uh, for ordinary people, but it's awfully close. And I think that he's got one hell of a career ahead of him. And I suspect there will probably be more Oscar nominations on the horizon. I am so fond of Lucas Hedges and Manchester by the Sea. All right. So, Joey, did you have anything else uh, to say about Hedges? No. No, I, I I will say, like, I get where you're coming from. It hits, like, a personal level. So I guess, like, if you have a connection to it, I get it. But it makes me wonder, is this a type of film, and this is for anybody, is this a type of performance or film where you, like, have to have a connection to this type of pain to like it or understand it? I think there's an interesting, like, psychological effect on that for this movie then. Um which interests me a lot. I mean, I, I know movies hit people for certain things for sure, but I will say like the trend that I've noticed with this movie in particular, the people who really connect to it ex have experienced a type of loss like that. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't like it haven't. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, this is a very divisive film. Um, this movie has its fans and it has uh, folks who think it's one of the worst movies ever. And, um, I can see why it doesn't click for some people. Um, to use an overused phrase that I'm trying to find a different 
term for. It's a slow burn type of movie. It doesn't really have a whole lot of big dramatic moments. Like, you know, Hoot Hedges has the frozen chicken and um, there's Michelle Williams, uh, her conversation with Casey Affleck toward the end of the movie. But these, um, these moments of high drama are sort of few and far between. Um, Lonergan seems to be going for an overall feeling, um, a very sort of consistent tone. Um, so I can see why some people might mentally check out, um, especially if they don't really have anything themselves to bring to um, the movie-going experience. Um, so I don't, um, I don't judge people who don't like this movie. I get um, why it might not work for some, but I totally get why it works for other people like me. For sure, for sure. Next, we have Dev Patel, nominated for Lion. This is so far his uh, first and only uh, nomination. Going into this, he wins uh, with BAFTA. So um, he has one major precursor on his side, and he's also recognized with the Globes, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Lion, Dev Patel plays Saru, an Indian man who uh, was adopted by an Australian couple as a child who, as an adult, is in search of where he comes from. So how do you feel about Dev Patel in Lion? So I am a fan of the second half of Lion, which I mentioned, again, not to throw back to 2016, when we did the women. Um, first half of Lion, not a fan of. Second half, really appreciate. And that is due to the performances of Nicole Kidman, Dev Patel, and Rooney Mara. Um, I think Dev Patel is really good here. I think I, well, no, I feel and I understand that search of where do I belong? Like, where do I come from? Um, I get it. Like, I 100% understand that on a personal level, speaking of having a personal connection, on a personal level and as a moviegoer. Um, with, this is a film that without the performances, you would not care because you have to care about these characters and you have to care about this story. And I know you may think, well, Joe, that's with any movie. Yeah. Okay. But to an extent, like think about something like, I don't know, uh, zero dark 30 for an example, would we be that invested in Maya and her story if it wasn't Jessica Chastain or would we be invested into the idea of the capture and kill of bin Laden because of what he did on 9-11? I think that's a great example because you have to sell that part of the story. And that's what they do here in Lion. Um, I think Patel is heartbreaking. I think it's really sad. I think it's really uplifting and beautiful when he finds his mother and of course the biggest sell of that movie is the end clip with the actual people uh, with the with the mother's um meeting for the first time um it's beautiful and i really appreciate it and i like what patel's doing here and i'm glad that he's got a nomination it would be nice to see him do more um and again that's probably not his fault look at the industry there's another example of that um but yeah, I you know what I really like this one. This one is great, and this is one like Ali where I'm left like, oh my god, this is uh, this has stuck with me. 
And, you know, I did give Nicole Kidman her only win from me on this one. And I'm very fond of this film, like I said, the latter half of it. So kudos to Patel here. Definitely kudos. I'm a pretty big fan of the movie and um, of Patel. Uh, It hit me more so on the rewatch than it did the first time. Um, I think I addressed when we talked about the actresses, how I went to see this in a theater with some friends. And I was like the only one not sniffling. Um, watching it later, um, when, as listeners of that episode heard, when Seth and I tricked his parents into watching, um, a subtitled movie, uh, or at least halfway subtitled, um, it hit me harder. Um, maybe it was knowing where it was going. Uh, maybe it just, for some reason, took a second time, I'm not sure. But, um, Dev Patel's performance, I think, has a lot to do with that. Um, this character has a a determination and a drive that um, I think um, is felt. Um, It's communicated through the camera. Um, He also has, um, he has his own sort of more low key version of the frozen chicken scene in Manchester by the sea when he's over at his friend's house and he sees that, um, that dish being cooked on the stove, which he, which flashes back to um, when he was a child and he and his, um, I think it's his brother, saw that same dish being cooked at like a market. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's a very similar type of trigger. And yet it, um, it brings out a different response. Of course, one's involving, you know, tragic death and the other one's, you know, uh, a nostalgia for the, for a homeland. And, um, Dev Patel, I think, communicates um, quite a bit uh, without needing these big showstopper moments. Um, he has, you know, a couple of heartfelt scenes, um, like the one with uh, Nicole Kidman, where she reveals um, that she and her husband are capable of having children. Um, they just chose to adopt. Um, I think Patel's response in that scene um, elevates the scene and elevates Kidman's performance. Um, I think he's just as key to that moment as Kidman is. And, um, the reunion at the end is so triumphant. Um, I mentioned the first time I saw this movie, I was like the only one not, um, affected emotionally. That's just kind of how I am as a person. But, um, the second time I watched it, I felt myself, I felt something stirring, um, within me. And um, I think that's the the drive that Patel brings to this character. And um, if it were not for his performance and the way that sequence when he um, finds his home village, if it were not for that, I don't know that the clips of the real life people meeting each other would have been as effective. I mean, of course, that's um, a fantastic moment. A scene like that is going to um, evoke some sort of response, but it's the buildup to it, thanks to um, Patel's performance, that I think really culminates and brings the entire movie um, to a head. Um, I'm sure this is not the last time we will see Patel um, at the Oscars as a competitive nominee. As you mentioned, as we said with Mahershala Ali, the industry is not always kind to non-white actors when it comes to the types of movies that get produced and the types of movies 
that get nominated for awards. But um, I have a hard time believing that this will be Dev Patel's sole nomination as a competitor, as a competitive nominee. Agreed. Agreed. And we have a question regarding Patel that, of course, I go to and I lose right away. So just give me one second. Ah, there it is. From Jamie Von Stupp. Do you consider Dev Patel category fraud? And if so, would you nominate him in lead? Personally speaking, I would put him in lead. Um, this is Saru's story, and I think Patel and um, I can't recall his name, but the, the young actor who plays the young version of Saru, I would say they have relatively equal screen time. I don't have the numbers, of course, but um, it, it feels equivalent, um, what they're both bringing to this story and how they're both coming together to tell it. I would consider both of those actors playing this role um, co-leads. I would not. I think he's in the right category. This is a very much like a Vox Lux situation with Natalie Portman. Um, where, while it is the same character, um, it is two different people playing this, these roles. So it's not like Dev is in it from the beginning all the way to the end. The character is, but he is not. Um, like Portman, he doesn't come in until the last half of the movie, um, maybe even a little further than half. I think I clocked him in at like 69 minutes or something like that. I could be wrong on that one. But um, yeah, it's uh, he's in the right category here. This is not one I would consider category fraud. So but that's just me. Um, and that is all we have on uh, questions for him. Okay. Anything else on Patel in general? Negative. Okay. Our final supporting actor is um, Michael Shannon, nominated for Nocturnal Animals. This is his second of two nominations. He kind of snuck in here. Uh, he doesn't get any major wins, and his only like major-ish nominations are with the Critics' Choice and the National Society of Film Critics. In Nocturnal Animals, Michael Shannon plays Bobby Andes, an embittered, dying detective on what might be his final case, helping a man track down and bring to justice the men who raped and murdered his family in the story within the story. So how do you feel about Michael Shannon and Nocturnal Animals? I think this is everything that Jeff Bridges wanted to be in Hell or High Water. Um, this is the type of character where when you're going to have this, like, um, I almost want to call him like a bounty hunter type of per like character, like that is just ruthless and evil and will stop at nothing to get the job done. I think this is a delicious role that Mike only Michael Shannon could have sunk his teeth into. Um, I'm so happy that he snuck into this because he was my favorite part of Nocturnal Animals. Um, he is just ruthless and gross and just completely my type of villain. Um, I am all for this. This is such a good nomination. I'm I'm here for this. I love this so much. I'm a big fan of Shannon here in Nocturnal Animals. Um, it's funny you mentioned Bridges because I had a similar thought um, because these two characters function similarly in their films, uh, being these sort of Southern um, justice figures. Um, Shannon's is a little more interesting. It's a little bit uh, it's a little bit more. Um, artificial, but not in a bad way, uh, because this is the story within the story. Um, his character is a character in a book 
written by another character in this movie. Um, so there is a certain, um, I don't want to keep using artificial, but there is a, there's something purposefully mechanical, engineered about this character. Um, it feels like something out of a Jim Thompson novel or some sort of pulpy story from the like mid-century dime novels. Like he feels like that sort of um, detective character, sort of a Southern sheriff uh, bending the rules to bring these uh, criminals to justice. And uh, Shannon seems to be eating it up. I think he's perfectly aware that this character does not technically exist within reality, which allows him to um, really lean into some sort of, um, not fantastical, but he doesn't have to play this like a straight cop. Like he can sort of do whatever he wants uh, because this story is a story within the story. And um, there really are no boundaries. You don't have to worry about uh, playing it as a real life uh, cop would. So he gets to really eat things up, really bend the rules in ways that, of course, we all know that cops bend the rules, but he gets to do it in ways that um, it feels like a movie. Like there is an electricity to his character that I don't think we would get if he were playing a cop in the Amy Adams level of this movie. Um, so I think Shannon really gets to live up to all of his Shannon-isms. It's kind of funny, with Jeff Bridges and Hell or High Water, that movie's really tapping into all the things that make Jeff Bridges Jeff Bridges. And here in Nocturnal Animals, giving Michael Shannon this sort of free reign to create what kind, whatever kind of... Uh, boundless cop he wants to be it really allows michael shannon to be michael shannon so it's um it's a really interesting comparison between how these two characters function within their stories and how these two actors play them um of course i love michael shannon he always goes to these places that you never really expect um i think he's one of those actors where you you go into a movie knowing vaguely what kind of performance you're going to get from him and yet he still manages to upend your ex expectations and um entertain you the entire time um he's an actor who should really be in more things and be taken more seriously um he's got two oscar nominations but um i think he should have more just in general well it's funny you say that because christoph wants to know are there any other performances by Michael Shannon he should have been nominated for but wasn't? Also, bonus points if you mention Bug. Um, I was going to mention Bug uh, because it's an amazing film, and he absolutely should have been nominated for it. Also, I would say Take Shelter. Um, he is fantastic in Take Shelter, produced by our friend Tyler Davidson, and you can all hear all about that in our conversation with him. Um, he's also in a movie called 99 Homes with Andrew Garfield, and he is fantastic in that movie as well. Um, trying to think of some other ones that he's been in. Are there any others that you can think of that I haven't mentioned? Yes. Well, you took three of the ones I was going to say, so I'm just going to throw in The Shape of Water. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. So, 
but I agree with all those. I don't know if I fully agree with Bug. I mean, I've only seen it once, and it was when it first came out, and I don't remember it. I just remember not liking the film. But I was very young when that movie came out, so I, I'm sure I could go in for a rewatch. Yeah, it's worth a rewatch, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. We are going to kind of wrap up these questions here, because outside of these, we only have one for lead. So, or two for lead. Um, Nick Cipriano wants to know, thoughts on Aaron Taylor Johnson and Nocturnal Animals? I would imagine he was close, considering the Golden, uh, considering the Globe win in Baptonon. I think he's pretty good. Um... Personally, if I had to pick between Shannon and Taylor Johnson, I would go with Shannon. Um, I find it to be the most interesting performance. Um, Taylor Johnson, you know, is giving a wild, uh, feral, um, chaotic sort of performance that really works um, for what um, what he needs to be. Again, this is that movie within the movie, and um, his character is meant to be um, an exaggeration of reality. Um, that's kind of what I was going for when I was talking about Shannon. This is uh, the movie within the movie is an exaggeration. It's a it's a hyperbolic version of our world. So um, Taylor Johnson, like Shannon, just gets to go to eleven um, with his performance, and um, I think he's quite good. And he um, he does exactly what he needs to do. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would go with Shannon. I would also go with Shannon. Um, I think Johnson's good, and I remember com- being completely shocked, I think, with everyone else when he won the Globe. Um, so it was kind of weirdly interesting when Shannon made the Oscar lineup and not him. Um, but I also think that was... Because I think 99 Homes came before this, right? I think it did. Yeah, it did, a couple years before that. So I remember, because he was like... Shannon was everywhere for 99 Homes and then didn't get in, so I almost wonder if this was like uh, an oopsies here you go type of nomination for him. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Johnson's fine, but I would definitely go for Shannon over the two. Um, And then Andrew Carden for the category wants to know, did any other, did any of the other fences gentlemen deserve supporting actor noms? Um, I mean, I suppose I wouldn't have minded it, but when I think of fences, I don't really think of the supporting men. Um, so I suppose it's one of those situations where I would have been perfectly fine, probably, if any of them would have been nominated. Of course, uh, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson is always a welcome face, um, basically anytime he's on screen, and he seems to be one of those actors who um, feels like he's he's due for something just because of everything he's contributed and all that. Um, also, Russell Hornsby is just great in general, but um, I don't think any of the supporting men would make my personal lineup, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't add any supporting characters. Um, there's just the two leads of Davis and Washington, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't supporting them, no. Right. And that's all we've got. Okay. All right. Uh, so your leading actors of 2016 were Casey Affleck, Manchester by the Sea. Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge. Ryan Gosling, La La Land. Viggo Mortensen, Captain Fantastic. Washington, Fences. 
All right. Let us start with Ryan Gosling as Sebastian, stupid ass name, in La La Land. This is a his second of two nominations. Going into Oscar night, he has a Golden Globe win for actor in a comedy musical. And then noms across the board from BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and SAG. In La La Land, again, Ryan plays Sebastian, who's a down and out jazz piano, well, just jazz performer, who meets the girl of his dreams and doesn't exactly get the happy ending, but still has jazz. So, uh, Brandon, what do you think of Ryan as Sebastian in La La Land? Um, This is a performance that has never really done it for me. Um, I've seen La La Land a couple of times, and I think it's a perfectly fine movie. Um, I don't dislike La La Land. It's just not my favorite thing. Um, And I find Emma Stone's performance so much more interesting. I know it's not exactly fair to compare them in that way but um gosling i feel is just okay um i think he's got a fine voice um he's got a fine presence it just i don't know there's just something i always leave la la land wanting more specifically from gosling um i'm not sure if a different actor would have brought something else to this part Um, I don't know if, like, say, a Jake Gyllenhaal or someone else would have brought something out of Sebastian or maybe even Miles Teller. Um, That would have been interesting considering um, Whiplash and uh, Damien Chazelle. Uh, I I don't know if it's to the character, the way the character is written, or if it's Gosling's. I do kind of find the character annoying. So I wonder if that's um, affecting my feelings on Gosling as the performer. But... um, yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those parts that I just don't have a whole lot to say because I don't really hate the performance, but I'm I'm far from loving it. I just feel like he's not giving me enough in this movie. Yeah, no surprise. I'm not a huge fan of La La Land. Um, been vocal about that. I agree with you. Gosling is this is a, this is a one note lively performance i guess and i say lively with like take that with a shot of penicillin because there's something about when he's when he's excited he's still talking like this and it's just eh, i don't know um i just look at this i'm gonna keep this short and sweet i just look at this and think he got in for this but couldn't get in for blue valentine really really Really, Miss Barkow, really? Kudos to whoever can name that quote. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, with uh, the Blue Valentine thing, uh, I mean, different year, different movies. Uh, La La Land was much more welcome with the Academy. So, and we know it's hardly ever about uh, performance and merit alone. So um, that has a lot to do with it. Uh yeah, I don't... It's not even a very interesting character. Like, honestly... It's not, no. Sebastian's not that interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I much prefer our, our friend Sebastian Gronbeck to this Sebastian. Who? Kevin's boyfriend. Kevin oh, Jacobson. Oh, sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Like, who? I just talked about him the other day, too. All right. Anyway. 
foot in mouth disease. Joseph foot in mouth disease. All right, moving on. Uh, gonna do a hoedown off stage like Ashley Simpson right now. Um, <laughs> next nominee, we have Viggo Mortensen as Ben in Captain Fantastic. This is his second of three nominations. Going into Oscar night, um, nominations everywhere. Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, but at there he gets in for actor in a comedy, not the actor category. Spirit nom for actor, and then two at SAG. One for actor, one for cast. Um, in Captain Fantastic, again, Vigo plays Ben, who is a father of like 77 children who live in the woods in the Pacific Northwest, who have, he's raising them out there in a totally naturalistic way of life, who gives amazing education, um, teaches them everything they need to ever learn to kind of avoid the quote unquote normal way of bringing up uh, a family, but upon their mother's death has to leave the woods to, you know, join civilization temporarily. Um, so let's talk. What do you think? So um, what I said about Ryan Gosling's character being uninteresting and rather boring, none of that applies to this character. I find um, this guy so fascinating. It's a type of person who I would love to just know in real life. I kind of want to attend his school um, in the woods. I mean, I'm not really an outdoorsy kind of person, but um, if that's what it took to get this kind of uh, education, I think I would just suck it up and do it um, because um, he is he's so scholarly and well-read and honestly just a good person. And Viggo Mortensen plays him um, very well. Uh, there's a fatherliness to him, but he also has this sort of um, military general uh, sort of vibe to him. I know this guy would have uh, qualms probably with the military, so I don't mean that in like the sort of Americana rah-rah sort of military, but he has a very uh, like a stern presence, um, a commanding presence. And uh, I think Viggo Mortensen does a very solid job of um, giving us a character who is very principled and um, is very uh, sure of himself and is very sure of the positive impact he is um, he is having upon his children and the world at large. Um, living out in the wilderness, sort of off the grid, not really um, producing a whole lot of um, waste and pollution. Um, and then sort of having to um, grapple with um, wondering if it was all correct. Um, like when he and his children reach um, their destination for their mother's funeral and he's being challenged. Um, about whether or not um, he's actually causing more harm than good upon his children. Like, I think there's a part of him that believes that he is correct, but also he's um, he has to really come to terms with um, the very bold decisions that he has made in life. And um, I think Viggo Mortensen plays this character very well. And uh, I would I would just love to drink with this guy 
Yeah, I love this movie. It was actually my favorite movie of 2016, and I wish that it was embraced more by people. I was so excited to see a SAG cast nomination. I was like, cool, that's like really fucking rad. Um, there was something about this movie. I remember the first time I had actually seen it, I got it in the screeners for Spirit Awards, because this, I think, was the first year I voted at the Spirits. And I was just, like, blown away by it. I just thought it was so original, especially in such an industry that is so about remakes and sequels. Like, the originality in this was fantastic. And also, living in Seattle and knowing the area and, like, just knowing how the Pacific Northwest is, like, you know, I always have a fondness to it. That's why I love the movie Wild also, because it's just so beautiful. Um, regarding the performance, I think this is great. Um, you know, I... People know Vigo mostly if you're in the mainstream from um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is great. It's fun. But this, I think, really gets to show Vigo as not only a comedic actor, but mixing the perfect amount of comedy with the drama. I mean, when he goes head to head with with Frank Langella, it's kind of intimidating. Well, Frank Langella can be intimidating in general, but like he just really stands his own and he does it with such ease from putting his son on the on the plane to accepting where his kids are going in life to the determination to get his wife and their mother and give her the proper viking burial that she's going to have i mean even who have you ever heard a better cover of sweet child of mine honestly i'm asking you no um it's perfect it's it's better than guns and roses it really is and I still listen to that version to this day. And we're, what, four years removed from this movie? It's just, this movie is just wonderful. It just makes me feel good. Especially in this lineup of movies that are pretty heavy, I guess, except for La La Land. But as someone who didn't like La La Land, it's, you know, a pretty refreshing movie in this lineup. Um, yeah, it's great. I just wish that he got more love for this. This was such a weird year where everything kind of went to one person except for one major award and everyone else just got shunned and it's kind of just like man i think vigo just deserved more for this like recognition and more love because it's great i love it yeah i think it's also a lot of that has to do with um this film's independent nature i feel like this is one of those movies that's just underseen by general audiences like um, people who follow independent film and the Oscars have, of course, seen it. But I have a feeling that there's a lot of people out there who uh, perhaps have never even heard of this movie. And um, that's a shame because I think it is it is definitely worth watching. It's, it's a movie that really makes you think and then um, sneaks up on you and really makes you feel some stuff, too. So... Um, that's you know another downfall of this industry. A lot of the um, smaller independent films just have such a difficult time cracking through with general audiences. Every once in a while they'll pop up here at the Oscars and that's fantastic. But um, you know I feel like this is just one that he might not get the recognition he deserves because so many people just simply haven't seen it. Correct, correct. Anything else on Vigo? Um, I don't think so. All right, moving on, we've got this year's winner, Casey Affleck, as Lee Chandler in Manchester by the Sea. This is his second of two nominations, but his only win. Um, going into Oscar night, he was the one to beat. He got he has wins from Golden Globe for Actor and a Drama, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Independent Spirit Awards, National Board of Review, National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Association. His nominations came in the form of the LA Film Critics and two at SAG, one for actor, one for cast. 
and Manchester by the Sea again. Casey plays Lee, who is a handyman who gets news about his brother and sister-in-law's passing and ends up being in charge of his nephew and then has to return to his hometown where he has to at some point meet or run into his ex-wife. And then we learned about the story about, I can't believe I was just about to say this, but I'm going to say it where he burned your baby. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I had to, it was open. Uh, Brandon, let's talk. Yes, but before we get to my take on Casey Affleck and Manchester by the Sea, we have Ronaldo Sosa, one of our Twitter contest winners from last season, and he is here today to offer his take on Casey Affleck and Manchester by the Sea. Casey Affleck is by far the best winner in this category since F. Marie Abraham won for Amadeus, and he's like one of my top five winners of all time. When the movie begins, you think that he's that Lee is just a violent jerk that likes to go around beating people up and drinking and arguing with them. But then as the as it goes on, you realize that he's actively trying to get people to hate him and to hurt him because he feels like he deserves a punish a punishment for what happened to his kids that he didn't get from the police. And that he's try that he is that he's afraid to form an attachment to other people because he thinks that he will hurt them later. You can see all of this in the way that he carries himself. He's like every it's like every ounce of his body is weighing him down and like just taking a single step is taking like all the strength in his body. On the whole, it's a really subtle performance that makes you lean into the screen to see the little changes in his facial expressions. And But to some people, it might just look like he's doing nothing and he's just walking and talking and reading his lines in a monotone way. So I'm, I was really surprised when he was able to beat Denzel, who's giving like this big and loud performance. So I was really happy when he won. And this movie as a whole has a very special place in my heart because this uh, th- it was the first movie that I saw in a theater by myself. And uh, 2016 was the first year that I started following the award season and the Oscars. And Manchester by the Sea was the first one of the contenders that I saw that year. And it was the uh, it was what introduced me to Kenneth Lonergan and who I love. I also love You Can Count on Me. And it introduced me to Casey Affleck, who's one of my favorite actors now. So that's it. So I'm a pretty big fan of Casey Affleck's performance here. Um, I mean, as you've heard a couple of times now, uh, discussing Lucas Hedges and Michelle Williams, this is just a movie that I just really, I just really get it. Um, Affleck is doing something that I think is really difficult. Um, Playing someone with the type of depression that he has over the course of a movie that I think is like two hours and 15 minutes or something can be pretty difficult. Um, It's... 
it's a low energy type of delivery that needs to have a certain magnetism about it or else people will look past you. And Casey Affleck finds that that line and I think really rides on it the entire time. Um, he does something very interesting that I realized on this rewatch that I don't think has ever clicked with me before. I don't know how he does this thing with his voice that I've come to realize before my recent rewatch that happens to me when I'm in a depressive state. I notice it when I'm at work because that's kind of where I do the majority of my speaking um, when I'm not podcasting, where like if I'm in a weird depressive state, my voice will just like cut in and out. Um, it's similar to like a cracking, um, but you'll just be like speaking and then all of a sudden it'll be like for a split second, there's silence in the middle of the word that you're saying. It's really difficult to describe, but I have a feeling there's some people who will, will understand. But um, Casey Affleck does that repeatedly throughout this movie. And I don't know how to consciously do that because I tried recreating it on purpose and I can't do it. So I'm not sure how vocally conscious he is or if it just kind of happened naturally if he like put himself into a weird place in a sort of actory um in an actory sort of way but um that felt very true when i was watching it this last time and uh there's something so um hypnotic about his look in this movie like he has a a depth to his eyes like it sounds really weird but again connecting with this movie on a very personal level I'm just seeing a lot of reflections in his performance um, that I that I think is very difficult to do over the entire runtime of this movie because he's in like 90% of this movie um, in terms of like scenes and uh, um, yeah it's a it's a very difficult um, performance to talk about in terms of getting into the nitty-gritty of craft but um it's uh yeah it's one that resonates with me quite a bit how about you so this is just not my reaction from this film but this is just my reaction with casey affleck in general he's one of those actors i think you put the term the best that just doesn't do it for me it, he always feels like he's reading off of cue cards like it never fully feels real it doesn't feel like film acting. It doesn't feel like theater acting. It feels like Charles Barkley hosting SNL. And I know I've used that example before somewhere, and I can't remember where I said it, um, where he's just reading cue cards or he's being fed his lines through an earpiece. I don't ever – and again, this is not just him here, but I'm going to just talk about it in general because, you know, whether it's um, – 200 cigarettes or this or ain't them body saints or assassination of jesse james which we'll, we'll talk to you know season seven it never feels like he's acting at all and i don't know what it is so going into manchester by the sea which i did mention this was my most anticipated movie of that year until i saw it 
And so it became the most disappointing. I wasn't looking forward to seeing Casey Affleck when I was going into this because I just, I don't like him as an actor. He's one of those actors where it just, I don't know how he gets work because it just feels that phony to me, no matter what he's in. This was no exception. Um, I don't buy it. I don't buy any of it. I don't, I don't believe that that is how someone would react to their kids being burned up. I don't believe that that is how someone reacts to any of that. It just doesn't, I don't believe it. So I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to feel like I'm just being mean to it. I just don't have any other reaction to it other than it just, he's not a believable, he's not a believable actor to me no matter what he's in. So that's just me though. Yeah. Um, he's kind of funny. I thought his line readings were um, very sincere in this movie. Like the scene after his, um, his house and his children have uh, been burned when he's in the um, police department and they're asking him questions, there are these really long pauses in between the question and the answer where um, I think he's, he's gathering himself and perhaps coming up with the words before they actually leave his mouth. There's, um, I don't know, it's, it's difficult to describe, but there's, um, it's, it's very cerebral, I think, and that is this character's defense mechanism and his process for grieving. Of course, this is, that's very soon after this incident has occurred. And, um, when he arrives back at the house from the convenience store and sees what is happening, we get two very different responses to the, the scenario. Um, we have Michelle Williams um, screaming and throwing her arms and being restrained by like four firefighters uh, because that's how many people it's taking to keep her from running back into the burning house. And then we have um, Lee, played by Casey Affleck, who kind of just stands there with his paper bag of goods. Um, and I'm not judging him for his response, but that's just the two very different ways these two characters process what is happening. He's a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more distant. And I think that has to do with this theme of masculine uh, bereavement that Kenneth Lonergan is exploring in this movie. And so I think uh, this sort of um, mechanical, um, these mechanical attributes that you might be picking up on, I think are a choice. Um, and for me, they work, but I can see why other people um, might not read them in such a way. Yeah, that's the thing. I just, I'm just trying to imagine some, like, having kids or people who I love being trapped into a burning house. Michelle Williams' reaction is the reaction. I just don't, I don't buy it. It just, it, it's, it feels so phony to me. And I think that's, I don't know if that's the direction or that is Affleck. I know Affleck definitely plays a part into that, but it's just, I don't buy it. It just, I wish this worked for me because I think it, could have been the saving grace of this movie. I think the performances, but mm -mm, I can't. Well, people respond to things in different ways. I mean, that's the juxtaposition between yeah. the two characters. 
And um, not everyone is going to respond to things in the way that we would or the way that we think we would. Yeah. Like, right, you might think you would respond in the way Michelle Williams does, but you might not when it, if it actually were to happen to you. So it's all it's all very tricky. And, of course, we, we never know until it actually happens, and hopefully it never happens. But, um, yeah, people are... People are very, very complex. Now we're about to get personal. You ready? Because we got a question. Mm -hmm. Josh Parham wants to know, do you think it's fair to take Casey Affleck's personal life into account when deciding if someone deserves an Oscar? Or should the work be judged completely outside of that? Yeah, it's a tricky, uh, tricky conversation. It's that separate the artist from the art sort of thing that everyone's always talking about, which I don't think you can ever truly do. Um... I mean, of course, when we get to the rankings, people will see, you know, for certain whether or not um, the personal stuff affects things. But um, I I find it impossible to not think about. Like, I can't completely remove that detail um, from my feelings of the movie, of the performance of the person. Um, but I, I mean, no one deserves an Oscar, really. No one's entitled to an Oscar. Uh, there's all sorts of factors that go into whether or not someone wins one. Um, as we've said several times throughout the course of this show, they're hardly ever based solely on merit, and they're hardly ever based solely on politics or solely on the character of the actor themselves. Um, so I guess I to answer Josh's question, um, I I personally cannot remove what I know about a person, or at least I cannot remove allegations that I'm aware of. But um, I don't think anyone's entitled to an Oscar. I don't know if that really answered the question or not, but that's how I answered it. So in the United States of America, there is a thing called innocent until proven guilty that seems to have been removed from the psyche of people ever since this fucking bird app known as Twitter, where everyone has an opinion on something. Um, and therefore the, the idea of the court of public opinion has grown tenfold compared to what it used to be before social media. And in the court of public opinion, Casey Affleck is guilty and a monster. And I believe in the court of law, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember specifically. So if I'm wrong on this, I fully admit that I'm wrong. Case was dropped um, due to lack of sufficient evidence. So I kind of like really try to focus my opinions on where the court of law stands, which is not a 100% foolproof system. And I understand that. I guess that's my opinion on people in general. Now, granted, not to get off, way off topic here, but like Casey Anthony, we all know she fucking killed her kid, but I kind of agree with the court of law there because in order for, um, to be found guilty of murder, you have to prove th three things, when, where, and with what. And they only were able to do two out of the three, therefore you have to give her an innocent verdict. That's just the way it works. Um, but we all know she fucking did it. Now, Casey Affleck, even if it was thrown out, do I believe he did it? That's my own thing. Um, 
doesn't mean the people who allegated are any less important. But for this question specifically, I'm also on the fence because I look at something like The Pianist and I think it's Polanski's fucking masterpiece. And but I can't take away of the horrible shit that he did. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm very much on the fence with it, like Brandon. Um I'm not a lawyer, but um, I'm pretty sure the case was not dropped. Um, if I recall, it was settled. So, um, see, I see that's what I mean. Like, I wasn't too sure what had happened, but I remember it not going through. It's my understanding that it was settled out of court, um, which, you know, has its connotations, mm-hmm. but it was settled as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Up next, we have Andrew Garfield as Desmond Douse in. Axel Ridge. Try to say his name without that accent. It's not, it just happens. Um, this is his sole nomination thus far. Going into Oscar night, he has Golden Globe nominations from Golden Globe, or he has nominations from the Golden Globes for Best Actor in a Drama. BAFTA, Critics' Choice, he has two. He wins for actor in, in an action movie, but the actor category, he's just nominated. And then that's SAG for actor. In Hacksaw Ridge, again, Andrew plays Desmond, who is a, uh, a young man uh, during the war who decides to join, uh, to enlist into world war two and, uh, refuses to pick up a gun, which causes some trouble amongst the men he's with because he doesn't want to fight. He wants to save, um, the men he's fighting again, uh, fighting next to. So it causes a huge rift that goes to the legal system and beyond. Uh, what do we think? Um, so I think Andrew Garfield's uh, pretty good here in this movie. Uh, he's playing a very fascinating character, um, someone that we don't really see a whole lot in um, this sort of environment, at least not in movies. Um, he's a pacifist um, during wartime, literally on the battlefield. And um, earlier I mentioned that Dev Patel in Lion has a very strong determination um, to him, and I think Andrew Garfield has a very similar um, sort of drive. Um, this character um, has decided um, to serve, to uh, join the military at this time um, when his country needs him, but uh, comes with the caveat that he will not fire a weapon. And um, he kind of suffers for it. He um, experiences some very brutal bullying, and it goes even beyond that. Uh, he is like beaten to a pulp at points uh, by his um, fellow soldiers. Um, and Garfield really, um, he really holds his own in those moments. And this character's um, his spirit never really falters. Um, people are trying to get him to quit, um, to leave uh, the military because, um, well, for a number of reasons, they feel as though he might let them down and cause the deaths, the deaths of others, or that he is simply just worthless. Uh, that they will suffer because of him. Uh, we see how men are meant at at boot camp to do extra laps and stuff because um, Dawes will not pick up a firearm and participate in target practice. Uh, But then when we see him in war and he has found his place, literally 
dragging full-grown men um, in uniform with all their gear um, hundreds of feet to safety, um, he really finds his, um, his place here. And Garfield is pretty compelling in those moments. Um, his prayers of just one more, uh, let me get just one more person. Um, it, it repeatedly happens and it never really loses its power for me. Um, it's, it's, uh, inspirational in a way. And, um, I think Garfield manages to do it in a way that is not sappy, um, not in a way that some other actors may really play into the words and play into the camera. He seems very in the moment and aware of the stakes and of his surroundings. And um, it's, a, it's a very unusual way of becoming a hero in wartime. But um, I think Garfield um, really delivers here in this film. Yeah, um, I agree. I, Hacksaw Ridge gets this weird hate, and I understand the Mel Gibson thing. Trust me, I get that point. And I think this goes back to Josh's question even that we just had. But the film, I think, is great. It's It really surprised me at how much I liked this film. Um, I think a lot of that does come from Garfield as well. I mean, there's a point where you, you kind of, in a way, get frustrated with him, and then it's like you you understand his reasoning. And I think even the frustration with him lasts so short that it really is just a solid feel-good moment for our film in this whole entire um, war film. Um, I really like it. I This is one like Vigo that I kind of wish that people gave more love to because it's deserved. It's so just, I don't know. It, it's like, I don't know how else to say it. It's just that ray of sunshine in this, in a dark cloud of topic. You know what I mean? Like it's Garfield really makes you feel every moment and ever in his goal. It's very much, um, you root for him. You end up really rooting for this character to succeed. It almost feels like a sports movie where it's like, it's like Rudy. I don't know if you've ever seen Rudy where you're like, yeah, you can finally do it, Rudy. And then they carry him off the field. Like, that's kind of what I wanted to do with Desmond Dowse here. Um, I love it. I think this is also a really good nomination. I just wish that it got more love throughout the season like Vigo's. Yeah, I like Garfield. I'm not really a fan of the movie. Um, I think it's technically made well enough. Um, for, for some reason, it's the tone. Uh, the movie takes a weird tone um, during the battle scenes that just kind of, I don't know, it just feels off to me. Um, uh, most war movies just don't really hit me. I think I mentioned that when we talked about Coming Home and The Deer Hunter. Um, I don't have um, an affinity for them in the way that others do. And um, Hacksaw Ridge being a pretty standard um, war movie in terms of plot um, perhaps just falls into that. But um, re-watching it the other day uh, for Andrew Garfield, um, it still kind of just, it just doesn't sit right with me, the, the, the mood of this movie. I'm having trouble uh, articulating it, but I think that has a lot to do with um, why some people don't care for it. Of course, there is the, the Mel Gibson of it all. 
and um, that's always going to be an issue with everything he's involved with. But um, yeah, I think the the direction um, is a little questionable, mostly when it just comes to um, the I don't know the the I guess tone. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a different term, but yeah, it's just the handling of it, I suppose. Again, understandable though. Yeah. It's very weird what second chances this uh, industry has given some people. So, all right, moving on. Mm-hmm. All right, our final nominee this year is Denzel Washington as Troy Maxson in Fences. This is his seventh of nine nominations. Um, one of those nominations, though, I'd like to point out was for Fences in general. I think it was, was it Director? Maybe. I don't know. I'm blanking right now. Maybe it was picture. Anyway, going into Oscar night, Golden Globe nomination for actor and drama, Critics' Choice nomination for actor, National Society Film Critics nomination for actor. Two SAGs, one for nomination for cast, but he surprised one for actor, which really put him as a possible upset for Casey Affleck on that night. Um, In Fences, again, Denzel plays Troy, who is uh, the working man who, despite this relationship that his him and his wife has built and is taken care of by his wife played by viola davis in her leading role in fences um has some secrets that come forward including possible mistress mistresses he his relationship with the son it all unravels after all these years so what do we think of denzel as troy in fences there's a lot going on with this character um, I mean, there's a reason why Troy Maxson is considered one of the great roles of American theater. Um, you know, why Denzel played him on stage. And I believe James Earl Jones played this character on stage, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's a, a real complexity to this part, um, you know, given to us by August Wilson, uh, Troy sort of represents this working class uh, black man in America who does everything right, works so hard, and um, never really gets where he wants to be. And that causes him to stray um, from his marriage to you know not be the best possible husband and father that he can be. Um, His relationship with his son is very layered. Um, I think sometimes people look at it as a little bit too too two-dimensional, as him being um, abusive or simply a bad father, when I think a lot of that comes from his knowing how his son is going to be treated by this society that has wronged him. Um, There's a lot going on here that I think think deserves to be fleshed out Um, because Troy is he has this immense depth to him and um, Denzel Washington is giving this roller coaster type of performance Um, he's very charismatic uh, very bold in his delivery and sometimes um, some of these subtleties and nuances, I think, can be um, missed. Um, not that Denzel's not doing the work, but that sometimes it just doesn't always read upon first viewing um, to really see the complexities that he's putting into this person. Um, 
I mean, another detail about this character is he works in sanitation, which I think was probably a conscious choice on August Wilson's part, um, basically implying that this guy's job is to clean up after others, after the civilization, the society that has not given him um, his due, um, his baseball stardom, his wealth, um, all sorts of things that have led him to this sort of uh, pit, this pinnacle of his life where uh, nothing has quite come together in the way that he thinks he deserves. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a really difficult one to wrap my mind around. Uh, it's prob there's probably people who uh, who've written at great length great lengths um, all the things that are going on with this performance. But I think Denzel is. Um, He's really delivering here uh, with this character. Yeah, this um, this character is rough, and I don't mean that in a bad term. I mean that as this character has worked all of his life, he is truly worked to the bone to provide for his family, but it's still, in the end, not enough for him. He wants more. Um and he doesn't know when enough is enough. And in the end, that hurts him because he's built this relationship and this life with his wife. They have their son. They have a home. They have everything which is technically the quote-unquote American dream. And yet he is trying to live a champagne lifestyle on a house gin and tonic budget. And it is quite fascinating, the study, it, when you watch this, of essentially everyday people. I mean, who doesn't want a few extra dollars in their bank account? Who doesn't want to have the nicest, newest thing? It's essentially a story of keeping up with the Joneses in a way. And Denzel really just buries this in middle-class America buries this in a everyday whom we might know as our next door neighbor or even maybe our father like type of person i mean i have never seen james earl jones's version i've wanted to like i've seen clips of this and you know he won the tony as well for this and i am just so fascinated that this is a role that can bounce from person to person because I think it would be really, really hard to find someone who could fuck this up. And I don't mean that as in like anyone could play this role. I just feel like, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. I think anyone can play this role, but it would be really, really, again, hard to fuck it up because there's so much meat to chew on here that you would either have to overplay it or underplay it. Am I making sense? Yeah. I think the way you would fuck up this role is, by just not delivering right like you like you would have to not care about this character and i don't think that's possible because unless you're like a hilton or rothschild born into wealth we all started here you know what i mean so it, it's just fascinating i think denzel this is some of his best work and i really 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 like this from him too um kudos denzel kudos yeah i think it's one of his best as well um, I mean, there's this old adage saying within um, black parenthood 
um, to their children were this idea that they will have to work twice as hard to get half as far as their white counterparts in this society that um, favors whiteness. And Troy is one of those guys who has worked twice as hard all his life. And he has only gotten half as far as someone who is in another world working way less than he is, who is theoretically less deserving. And I think that that weighs on him. Um, it eats at him. And um, he, he uh, strays, has an affair. He is not as kind to his child as he should be. But there are, of course, there are reasons for that. Um, not defending his uh, choice. I think there's an explanation there for why that relationship is the way that it is. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, Troy's uh, feeling as though he is, or knowing that he is seen as less than while doing more than most. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a really complex character. And um, I wish I could have seen James Earl Jones do it. I'm sure that would have been phenomenal if he was, you know, I'm sure he was just as good as Denzel, if not greater. Legit. Legit. Do you have anything else on Denzel before we get to the, our final couple questions? Um, I think I'm okay for now. All right. So, so um, from Jenny Schmidt, aside, hashtag justice for Denzel, she says, aside from his performance, what do you think of Denzel's direction of fences? I mean, I think it's pretty good. Um, I am not one of those film people who scoffs at movies based on stage plays and complains, oh, it's too stagey. It's just a film's play. I don't care about that. If it works, it works. Uh, Denzel does take some liberties. If I recall, I read this play in school and I've seen a couple productions of it. If I recall, it all takes place in the backyard in the play. Uh, Denzel opens it up a little bit. Um, we see a little bit more of their neighborhood. We see the inside of the house. Um, and I think it works. Um, the new um, environments that he puts certain parts of the play in. Um, I think he handles uh, the camera work pretty well as a director, uh, playing into the intensity of um, the scenes. So, I mean, I'd say it works. I don't have really any problems with the way he chose to tell it cinematically yeah it um uh i would agree i would agree i think the direction's great i definitely see the complaint on why people have like the play to movie thing but you know just get over it and enjoy it for what it is mm -hmm. so um let's see to finish this off as well, we have from Eggs Acid, if Silence had premiered earlier than it did, do you think it gets more than just cinematography or does it strike out essentially because everyone is super divisive and didn't click for everybody? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Silence is another one of those movies similar to Manchester by the Sea where there are people who like loved it when it came out. And I know people that thought it was like the most boring thing ever, one of Scorsese's weakest films i liked it i mean i haven't seen it since it came out so it's not exactly fresh in my memory but i was pretty fond of it um 
I could see it possibly getting in more um, in another year, or if it had been, if it had received um, greater praise. Um, yeah, I, I, I dug it. I didn't see it, so mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. Everyone says I should see it, but I don't know. It's just I'll get to it when I get to it. It's not like, you know, I'm reeling to see silence. And Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and the Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free, and because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. All right. Well, as a reminder, your supporting actors were Mahershala Ali in Moonlight, Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges in Manchester by the Sea, Dev Patel in Lion, and Michael Shannon in Nocturnal Animals. And I'm putting Dev Patel in my fifth place spot because I do see him as a co-lead um, with the other actor who plays Saru. Um, that's just the way I kind of see it. Um, so Dev Patel's my fifth place. Fifth place for me is going to be Jeff Bridges. This is just a redo of Crazy Heart mixed with True Grit. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. This is just Jeff Bridges. Bridges. This is Jeff Bridges. Bridgesing. Okay. Uh, number four for me is Jeff Bridges uh, for Hell or High Water. Um, I think he's perfectly fine in this movie. I don't really have all that many negative things to say except that I'm I'm getting Jeff Bridges. And it works, but um, it's not the kind of thing that I tend to reward. So um, Jeff Bridges is only number four for me for Hell or High Water. Number four for me is Lucas Hedges. This is just one note. Like I said, this isn't really doing anything for me. And outside of the chicken scene, he just, he's not doing anything. So he beats Bridges though, so I'm giving him four. Lucas Hedges is my number three for Manchester by the Sea. Um, I really dig what he's doing here. Um, I think it really works for this film and um, for the type of character that he's playing. But um, 
I suppose I'm just a little bit more fascinated with who else is in Manchester by the Sea as well as who else is in this lineup with Hedges. So he only cracks my number three spot. Number three for me is going to be Michael Shannon. This is fantastic. This is diabolical, and I love it. Um, not quite the winner with who's in this lineup, but uh, hey, he's halfway, and I think third place is a pretty fair spot for him for me. So Michael Shannon at three. Um, my runner-up is Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Um, for some reason, uh, Michael Shannon being Michael Shannon works more in Nocturnal Animals than Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges in The Hell or High Water. Uh, perhaps that's just the entirely different type of tone and execution of this movie. But uh, Michael Shannon is giving um, a thunderstorm of a performance here. He is riveting and gripping and simply just fantastic and eating up this movie. But uh, Mahershala Ali has my heart with Moonlight. Um, he has such a compelling presence uh, that when he is gone, it is physically felt. Um, he He's just giving a phenomenal performance. I mean, I don't know another way of putting it. So um, he's my winner for Moonlight. Well, look at that, because we're going to agree. Dev Patel, though, is my runner-up, and Mahershala Ali is my winner. Um, starting with Dev, like I said, he's fantastic. Um, I do, we are on the opposite sides there, I do consider him supporting just because while his character, again, is throughout the whole thing, he's not. Um, so he's fantastic and probably would have won this for me had Ali not been here, but Ali is just magic. Um, I think you said it perfectly earlier. Uh, well, I mean, we both said it, but... Um, leaving Moonlight, he's the first thing on my mind. Mm -hmm. And thinking of Moonlight, he's the first thing on my mind. And that is the power of a great performance. So, Mahersha Ali, you're a winner, baby. Um, okay, with that, let's see if we also line up here. It'll be interesting. I'm not sure we will, but it'd be, be fun if we did. All right, as a recap, your nominees are Denzel Washington in Fences, Andrew Garfield in uh, Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling in La La Land, Viggo Mortensen in Captain Fantastic, and coming at, num at number five for me, Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. This is just a big fat no, so I'm just going to leave it at that. My number five is Ryan Gosling for La La Land. It, yeah, I guess maybe it's unfair or just too brutal to say, but he simply does nothing for me in La La Land, so he's my number five. Number four is going to be Ryan Gosling. Um, while I don't like him as just like, it, or well, I don't, let me rephrase that. I don't like this performance from him, but at least I can stand him as an actor. So that's why he's getting number four. Um, number four for me is Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. Um, I think he handles this character very well. Um, it's also just a fascinating character considering the movie that he's in. Um, but I don't find him quite as fascinating as the um the remaining three so um andrew garfield's my number four my number three is denzel washington um this is a great nomination from him i really like it and it's a lot of fun in a weird way um it's a realistic character i, I i've seen that man um but my final two there's there's no getting around those two so i gotta put denzel at three my number three is going to be Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. This is a role that could win for me in another year. Um, that's how much I really admire these top three that I have. Um, Viggo's great, 
and um, he deserves uh, even more recognition for this than he already gets. Um, but really, I'm just uh, I'm just picking favorites right now, and uh, today he's my number three for Captain Fantastic. All right. Well, we didn't line up clearly for lead because my runner-up is going to be Andrew Garfield, and Viggo Mortensen is my winner. Andrew, start obviously there, is great. I love this nomination and kind of like weirdly wish that he won on that night because I b believe this was around the time he had that really messy breakup with Emma Stone. It would have been interesting to see the two ex-lovers take the lead categories there. Um, but Vigo is fantastic. I voted for him at the Spirits. He I truly was... He was my winner from moment that I saw him, and it is just a, a performance that has stuck with me for the being four years removed now. And it is really, really, in my opinion, the most deserving in this lineup because it is the most unique. It is the most from the most original film. I mean, it is just chef's kiss beautiful. Um, so yeah, Viggo Mortensen was my winner there. My runner up is Denzel Washington for Fences. Um, as you heard, I. I was at a loss for words a few times while talking about this um, this performance. Um, that's the brilliance of August Wilson and everything he is putting into this story and the brilliance of Denzel Washington and everything he is bringing to it as a performer. Um, there's so many layers, there's so much subtlety and there's so much energy to this role um, that I think it's easy to get awestruck by it. But um, I'm going with Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, just based on performance alone. Um, this one really resonates with me. Um, I mean, for reasons I've already stated, I'm not going to, you know, hash all that out again. Um, it's just the one that really does it for me in this lineup, um, just based on performance. So um, Casey Affleck's my winner for Manchester by the Sea. And as a recap, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershal Ali for me. And I've got Casey Affleck and Mahershala Ali. Brandon, we guessed each other's right. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, this is a good year. All right, all right, all right. Um, that was not actually meant to be a McConaughey shout out, but I just realized it was. All right, well, on the count of three, let's give a big old goodbye. Ready? One, two, three, big old goodbye. Goodbye.